Welcome to Paul Martin's Catholic Podcast. I'm Paul Martin. I used to be a Presbyterian, then Pentecostal preacher. After studying the Bible and church history afresh, I converted to Catholicism in December 2017. Rather than a podcast for today, I'm actually putting a collection of audiobooks, that is, stories by the Brothers Grimm, Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm. Those men lived in the 19th century. They were two German Protestants and they travelled around Germany and spent time in the libraries as well and they collected several hundred German folk tales. Eventually they settled on 211 and they put together these stories and that's the beauty of Grimm's fairy tales. They're not the work of one particular individual, rather they're the collective work of the German people. And so they're a very eclectic bunch of stories. They're very beautiful and fascinating. And several years ago, I did an audiobook recording of all 211 of Grimm's fairy tales. As far as I'm aware, I could be wrong, but as far as I'm aware, I'm the only person in the world who has done all 211 in English. And you can get them all at my YouTube channel, Paul Martin's Fine Films. And what I've got today, however, is over 20 of these stories that have a strong Catholic influence. Because much of Germany is Catholic, many of the stories reflect that belief. So the Brothers Grimm published their collection of fairy tales in 1812, And they included stories like Little Red Riding Hood, Sleeping Beauty, Snow White, Hansel and Gretel, Cinderella, Rapunzel, Rumpelstiltskin and the Water Nixie. Yet there's many more stories that are far more exciting and intriguing than those just mentioned. And I'm not going to be using any of those just mentioned In this story, rather I'm going to have stories that include the fisherman and his wife, our lady's child, brother Lustig, the maid of Brackle, and many other exciting stories. And they're a very beautiful piece of heritage, not only for the German people, but for the world as a whole, that has charmed children and adults alike for over 200 years. I hope you'll enjoy these stories. Thank you, I'm Paul Martin. Grimm's Household Tales, translated by Margaret Hunt, read by Paul Martin. This audiobook and its underlying text is in the public domain. Number three, Our Lady's Child. Near a great forest dwelt a woodcutter with his wife, who had an only child, a little girl, three years old. They were so poor, however, that they no longer had daily bread, and did not know how to get food for her. 
One morning the woodcutter went out sorrowfully to his work in the forest, and while he was cutting wood, suddenly there stood before him a tall and beautiful woman with a crown of shining stars on her head, who said to him, I am the Virgin Mary, mother of the child Jesus. You are poor and needy. Bring your child to me. I will take her with me and be her mother and care for her. The woodcutter obeyed, brought his child and gave her to the Virgin Mary, who took her up to heaven with her. There the child fared well, ate sugar cakes and drank sweet milk, and her clothes were of gold, and the little angels played with her. And when she was fourteen years of age, the Virgin Mary called her one day and said, Dear child, I am about to make a long journey. So take into your keeping the keys of the thirteen doors of heaven. Twelve of these you may open, and behold the glory which is within them. But the thirteenth to which this little key belongs is forbidden. Beware of opening it, or you will bring misery on yourself. The girl promised to be obedient, and when the Virgin Mary was gone she began to examine the dwellings of the kingdom of heaven. Each day she opened one of them, until she had made the round of the twelve. In each of them sat one of the apostles in the midst of a great light, and she rejoiced in all the magnificence and splendour, and the little angels who always accompanied her rejoiced with her. Then the forbidden door alone remained, and she felt a great desire to know what could be hidden behind it, and said to the angels, I will not quite open it, and I will not go inside it, but I will unlock it, so that we can just see a little through the opening. Oh no, said the little angels, that would be a sin, the Virgin Mary has forbidden it and it might easily cause you unhappiness. Then she was silent, but the desire in her heart was not stilled, but gnawed there and tormented her, and let her have no rest. And once when the angels had all gone out, she thought, Now I am quite alone, and I could peep in. If I do it, no one will ever know. She sought out the key, and when she had got it in her hand, she put it in the lock, and when she had put it in, she turned it round as well. Then the door sprang open, and she saw there the Trinity, sitting in fire and splendour. She stayed there a while, and looked at everything in amazement. Then she touched the light a little with her finger, and her finger became quite golden. Immediately, a great fear fell on her. She shut the door violently and ran away. Her terror, too, would not quit her. Let her do what she might, and her heart beat continually, and would not be still. The gold, too, stayed on her finger and would not go away, no matter how much she rubbed it and washed it. 
It was not long before the Virgin Mary came back from her journey. She called the girl before her and asked to have the keys of heaven back. When the maiden gave her the bunch, the Virgin looked into her eyes and said, Have you not opened the thirteenth door also? No, she replied. Then she laid her hand on the girl's heart and felt how it beat and beat, and saw right well that she had disobeyed her order and had opened the door. Then she said once again, Are you certain that you have not done it? Yes, said the girl for the second time. Then she perceived the finger which had become golden from touching the fire of heaven and saw well that the child had sinned and said for the third time, Have you not done it? No, said the girl for the third time. Then said the Virgin Mary, You have not obeyed me, and besides that you have lied. You are no longer worthy to be in heaven. Then the girl fell into a deep sleep, and when she awoke, she lay on the earth below, and in the midst of a wilderness. She wanted to cry out, but she could bring forth no sound. She sprang up and wanted to run away, but wherever she turned herself, she was continually held back by thick hedges of thorns through which she could not break. In the desert in which she was imprisoned, there stood an old hollow tree and this had to be her dwelling place. Into this she crept when night came, and here she slept. Here too she found a shelter from storm and rain, but it was a miserable life, and bitterly did she weep when she remembered how happy she had been in heaven, and how the angels had played with her. Roots and wild berries were her only food, and for these she searched as far as she could go. In the autumn she picked up the fallen nuts and leaves and carried them into the hole. The nuts were her food in winter, and when snow and ice came she crept amongst the leaves like a poor little animal that she might not freeze. Before long her clothes were all torn, and one bit of them after another fell off her. As soon, however, as the sun shone warm again, she went out and sat in front of the tree, and her long hair covered her on all sides like a mantle. Thus she sat year after year and felt the pain and the misery of the world. One day, when the trees were once more clothed in fresh green, the king of the country was hunting in the forest, and followed a deer, and as it had fled into the thicket which shut in this part of the forest, he got off his horse, tore the bushes asunder, and cut himself a path with his sword. When he had at last forced his way through, he saw a wonderfully beautiful maiden sitting under the tree, and she sat there and was entirely covered with her golden hair down to her very feet. He stood still and looked at her, full of surprise. Then he spoke and said, Who are you? Why are you sitting here in the wilderness? But she gave no answer, for she could not open her mouth. The king continued, 
Will you go with me to my castle? Then she just nodded her head a little. The king took her in his arms, carried her to his horse, and rode home with her, and when he reached the royal castle, he caused her to be dressed in beautiful garments, and gave her all things in abundance. Although she could not speak, she was still so beautiful and charming, that he began to love her with all his heart, and it was not long before he married her. After a year or so had passed, the queen brought a son into the world. Thereupon the Virgin Mary appeared to her in the night when she lay in her bed alone and said, If you will tell the truth and confess that you did unlock the forbidden door, I will open your mouth and give you back your speech. But if you persevere in your sin and deny obstinately, I will take your newborn child away with me. Then the queen was permitted to answer, but she remained hard and said, No, I did not open the forbidden door. And the Virgin Mary took the newborn child from her arms and vanished with it. Next morning, when the child was not to be found, it was whispered among the people that the queen was a man-eater and had killed her own child. She heard all this and could say nothing to the contrary, but the king would not believe it, for he loved her so much. When a year had gone by, the queen again bore a son, and in the night the Virgin Mary again came to her and said, If you will confess that you open the forbidden door, I will give you your child back and untie your tongue. But if you continue in sin and deny it, I will take away with me this new child also. Then the queen again said, No, I did not open the forbidden door. And the virgin took the child out of her arms and away with her to heaven. Next morning, when this child also had disappeared, the people declared quite loudly that the queen had devoured it, and the king's counsellors demanded that she should be brought to justice. The king, however, loved her so dearly that he would not believe it, and commanded the counsellors under pain of death not to say any more about it. The following year the queen gave birth to a beautiful little daughter, and for the third time the Virgin Mary appeared to her in the night and said, Follow me. She took the queen by the hand and led her to heaven, and showed her there her two eldest children, who smiled at her and were playing with the ball of the world. When the queen rejoiced at this, the Virgin Mary said, is your heart not yet softened? If you will own that you open the forbidden door, I will give you back your two little sons. But for the third time the queen answered, No, I did not open the forbidden door. Then the virgin let her sink down to earth once more and took from her likewise her third child. Next morning, when the loss was reported abroad, all the people cried loudly, The Queen is a man-eater, she must be judged. 
and the king was no longer able to restrain his counsellors. Thereupon a trial was held, and as she could not answer and defend herself, she was condemned to be burned alive. The wood was got together, and when she was fast bound to the stake, and the fire began to burn round about her, the hard ice of pride melted. Her heart was moved by repentance, and she thought, If I could but confess before my death that I opened the door. Then her voice came back to her, and she cried out loudly, Yes, Mary, I did it. And straight away rain fell from the sky and extinguished the flames of fire. And a light broke forth above her, and the Virgin Mary descended with the two little sons by her side, and the newborn daughter in her arms. She spoke kindly to her and said, He who repents his sin and acknowledges it is forgiven. Then she gave her the three children, untied her tongue, and granted her happiness for her whole life. Grimm's Household Tales, translated by Margaret Hunt, read by Paul Martin. This audio book and its underlying text is in the public domain. Number 19. The Fisherman and His Wife There was once upon a time a fisherman who lived with his wife in a miserable pigsty close by the sea, and every day he went out fishing, and once as he was sitting with his rod, looking at the clear water, his line suddenly went down, far down below, and when he drew it up again, he brought out a large flounder. Then the flounder said to him, Listen! You fisherman, I pray you, let me live. I am no flounder really, but an enchanted prince. What good will it do you to kill me? I should not be good to eat. Put me in the water again, and let me go. Come, said the fisherman. There is no need for so many words about it. A fish that can talk, I should certainly let go anyhow. With that, he put him back again into the clear water, and the flounder went to the bottom, leaving a long streak of blood behind him. Then the fisherman got up and went home to his wife in the pigsty. Husband, said the woman, have you caught nothing today? No, said the man, I did catch a flounder who said he was an enchanted prince, so I let him go again. Did you not wish for anything first, said the woman? No, said the man. What should I wish for? Ah, said the woman, it is surely hard to live always in this dirty pigsty. You might have wished for a small cottage for us. Go back and call him. Tell him we want to have a small cottage. He will certainly give us that. Ah, said the man, why should I go there again? Why, said the woman, you did catch him, and you let him go again. He is sure to do it. Go at once. The man still did not quite like to go, but did not like to oppose his wife, and went to the sea. When he got there, the sea was all green and yellow, and no longer so smooth. 
So he stood still and said, Flounder, flounder in the sea, come, I pray you, here to me, for my wife, good Isabel, has sent me here against my will. Then the flounder came swimming to him and said, Well, what does she want then? Ah, said the man, I did catch you, and my wife says I really ought to have wished for something. She does not like to live in a wretched pigsty any longer. She would like to have a cottage. Go then, said the flounder. She has it already. When the man went home, his wife was no longer in the pigsty, but instead of it there stood a small cottage, and she was sitting on a bench before the door. Then she took him by the hand and said to him, Just come inside, look, now it isn't this a great deal better? So they went in, and there was a small porch, and a pretty little parlour and bedroom, and a kitchen and pantry with the best of furniture, and fitted up with the most beautiful things made of tin and brass, whatever was wanted. And behind the cottage there was a small yard with hens and ducks, and a little garden with flowers and fruit. Look, said the wife, is not that nice? Yes, said the husband, and so we must always think it. Now we will live quite contented. We will think about that, said the wife. With that they ate something and went to bed. Everything went well for a week or a fortnight, and then the woman said, Listen, husband, this cottage is far too small for us, and the garden and yard a little, the flounder might just as well have given us a larger house. I should like to live in a great stone castle. Go to the flounder and tell him to give us a castle. Ah, wife, said the man, the cottage is quite good enough. Why should we live in a castle? What? said the woman. Just go there. The flounder can always do that. No, wife, said the man. The flounder has just given us the cottage. I do not like to go back so soon. It might make him angry. Go, said the woman. He can do it quite easily and will be glad to do it. Just you go to him. The man's heart grew heavy and he did not want to go. He said to himself, it is not right, and yet he went, and when he came to the sea, the water was quite purple and dark blue, and grey and thick, and no longer so green and yellow. But it was still quiet, and he stood there and said, Flounder, flounder in the sea, come I pray you, here to me, for my wife, good Isabel, has sent me here against my will. Well, what does she want then? said the flounder. Alas, said the man, half scared, she wants to live in a great stone castle. Go to it then, she is standing before the door, said the flounder. Then the man went away, intending to go home, but when he got there he found a great stone palace, and his wife was just standing on the steps going in, and she took him by the hand and said, Come in. So he went in with her, and in the castle was a great hall paved with marble, and many servants who flung the doors wide. 
and the walls were all bright with beautiful hangings, and in the rooms were chairs and tables of pure gold, and crystal chandeliers hung from the ceiling, and all the rooms and bedrooms had carpets, and food and wine of the very best were standing on all the tables, so that they nearly broke down beneath it. Behind the house, too, there was a great courtyard with stables for horses and cows and the very best of carriages. There was a magnificent large garden too with the most beautiful flowers and fruit trees and a park half a mile long in which were stags, deer and hares and everything that could be desired. Come, said the woman, isn't that beautiful? Yes, indeed, said the man. Now let it be, and we will live in this beautiful castle and be content. We will consider about that, said the woman, and sleep upon it. Then they went to bed. Next morning the wife awoke first, and it was just daybreak, and from her bed she saw the beautiful country lying before her. Her husband was still stretching himself, so she poked him in the side with her elbow and said, Get up, husband, and just peep out of the window. Look, you couldn't we be the king over all that land? Go to the flounder. We will be the king. Ah, wife, said the man, why should we be king? I do not want to be king. Well, said the wife, if you won't be king, I will. Go to the flounder, for I will be king. Ah, wife, said the man, why do you want to be king? I do not want to say that to him. Why not, said the woman. Go to him this instant. I must be king. So the man went and was quite unhappy because his wife wished to be king. It is not right, it is not right, thought he. He did not wish to go but yet he went. And when he came to the sea, it was quite dark grey, and the water heaved up from below, and smelled putrid. Then he went and stood by it, and said, Flounder, flounder in the sea, come I pray you here to me, for my wife good Isabel has sent me here against my will. Well, what does she want then, said the flounder? Alas, said the man, she wants to be king. Go to her, she is king already. So the man went, and when he came to the palace, the castle had become much larger, and had a great tower and magnificent ornaments, and the sentinel was standing before the door, and there were numbers of soldiers with kettle drums and trumpets, and when he went inside the house, everything was of real marble and gold, with velvet covers and great golden tassels. Then the doors of the hall were opened, and there was the court in all its splendour, and his wife was sitting on a high throne of gold and diamonds, with a great crown of gold on her head, and a sceptre of pure gold and jewels in her hand, and on both sides of her stood her maids in waiting in a row, each of them always one head shorter than the last. Then he went and stood before her, and said, Ah, wife, and now you are king. 
Yes, said the woman, now I am king. So he stood and looked at her, and when he had looked at her thus for some time, he said, And now that you are king, let all else be. Now we will wish for nothing more. Nay, husband, said the woman quite anxiously, I find time passes very heavily. I can bear it no longer. Go to the flounder. I am king, but I must be emperor too. Alas, wife, why do you wish to be emperor? Husband, said she, go to the flounder. I will be emperor. Alas, wife, said the man, he cannot make you emperor. I may not say that to the fish. There is only one emperor in the land, and emperor, the flounder, cannot make you. I assure you he cannot. What? said the woman. I am the king, and you are nothing but my husband. Will you go this moment? Go at once. If he can make a king, he can make an emperor. I will be emperor. Go instantly. So he was forced to go. As the man went, however, he was troubled in mind, and thought to himself, It will not end well. It will not end well. Emperor, is too shameless. The flounder will at last be tired out. With that he reached the sea, and the sea was quite black and thick, and began to boil up from below, so that it threw up bubbles, and such a sharp wind blew over it, that it curdled, and the man was afraid. Then he went and stood by it, and said, Flounder, flounder in the sea, come I pray you here to me, for my wife, good Isabel, has sent me here against my will. Well, what does she want then, said the flounder. Alas, flounder, said he, my wife wants to be emperor. Go to her, said the flounder, she is emperor already. So the man went, and when he got there the whole palace was made of polished marble with alabaster figures and golden ornaments and soldiers were marching before the door blowing trumpets and beating cymbals and drums, and in the house barons and counts and dukes were going about as servants. Then they opened the doors to him, which were made of pure gold. And when he entered, there sat his wife on a throne, which was made of one piece of gold, and was at least two miles high. And she wore a great golden crown, that was three yards high, and set with diamonds and carbuncles. And in one hand she had the scepter, and in the other the imperial orb, and on both sides of her stood the yeomen of the guard in two rows, each being smaller than the one before him, from the biggest giant, who was two miles high, to the very smallest dwarf, just as big as my little finger. And before it stood a number of princes and dukes. Then the man went and stood among them, and said, Wife, are you emperor now? Yes, said she, I now am emperor. Then he stood and looked at her, and when he had looked at her for some time, he said, Ah, wife, be content, now that you are emperor. Husband, said she, 
Why are you standing there? Now I am emperor, but I will be pope too. Go to the flounder. Alas, wife, said the man, what will you not wish for? You cannot be pope. There is but one in Christendom. He cannot make you pope. Husband, said she, I will be pope. Go immediately. I must be pope this very day. No, wife, said the man, I do not want to say that to him. That would not do. It is too much. The flounder can't make you pope. Husband, said she, what nonsense. If he can make an emperor, he can make a pope. Go to him directly. I am emperor, and you are nothing but my husband. Will you go at once? Then he was afraid and went. But he was quite faint, and shivered and shook, and his knees and legs trembled, and a high wind blew over the land, and the clouds flew, and towards evening all grew dark, and the leaves fell from the trees, and the water rose and roared as if it were boiling, and splashed upon the shore. And in the distance he saw ships which were firing guns in distress, pitching and tossing on the waves, and yet in the midst of the sky there was still a small bit of blue, though on every side it was as red as in a heavy storm. So full of despair he went and stood in much fear and said, Flounder, flounder in the sea, come I pray you here to me, for my... Wife, good Isabel, has sent me here against my will. Well, what does she want then, said the flounder. Alas, said the man, she wants to be Pope. Go to her then, said the flounder, she is Pope already. So he went, and when he got there, he saw what seemed to be a large church surrounded by palaces. He pushed his way through the crowd. Inside, however, everything was lighted up with thousands and thousands of candles, and his wife was clad in gold, and she was sitting on a much higher throne, and had three great golden crowns on, and round about her there was much ecclesiastical splendour, and on both sides of her was a row of candles, the largest of which was as tall as the very tallest tower, down to the very smallest kitchen candle, and all the emperors and kings were on their knees before her, kissing her shoe. Wife, said the man, and looked attentively at her, are you now Pope? Yes, said she, I am Pope. So he stood and looked at her, and it was just as if he was looking at the bright sun. When he had stood looking at her thus for a short time, he said, Ah, wife, if you are Pope, do let well enough alone. But she looked as stiff as a post, and did not move or show any signs of life. Then said he, Wife, now that you are Pope, be satisfied, you cannot become anything greater now. I will consider about that, said the woman. At this they both went to bed. But she was not satisfied, and greediness let her have no sleep, for she was continually thinking what there was left for her to be. 
The man slept well and soundly, for he had run about a great deal during the day. But the woman could not fall asleep at all, and flung herself from one side to the other the whole night through, thinking always what more was left for her to be, but unable to call to mind anything else. At length the sun began to rise, and when the woman saw the red of dawn, she sat up in bed and looked at it. And when through the window she saw the sun thus rising, she said, Cannot I too order the sun and moon to rise? Husband, she said, poking him in the ribs with her elbow, Wake up, go to the flounder, for I wish to be like God is. The man was still half asleep, but he was so horrified that he fell out of bed. He thought he must have heard wrong and rubbed his eyes and said, Alas, wife, what are you saying? Husband, said she, if I can't order the sun and moon to rise and have to look on and see the sun and moon rising, I can't bear it. I shall not know what it is to have another happy hour unless I can make them rise myself. Then she looked at him so terribly that a shudder ran over him and said, Go at once. I wish to be like God. Alas, wife, said the man, falling on his knees before her, the flounder cannot do that. He can make an emperor and a pope. I beseech you, go on as you are and be pope. Then she fell into a rage, and her hair flew wildly about her head, and she cried, I will not endure this, I'll not bear it any longer. Will you go? Then he put on his trousers and ran away like a madman. But outside a great storm was raging and blowing so hard that he could scarcely keep his feet Houses and trees toppled over, the mountains trembled, rocks rolled into the sea, the sky was pitch black, and it thundered and lightened, and the sea came in with black waves as high as church towers and mountains, and all with crests of white foam at the top. Then he cried, but could not hear his own words. Flounder, flounder in the sea, come I pray you, hear to me. For my wife, good Isabel, has sent me here against my will. Well, what does she want then? said the flounder. Alas, said he, she wants to be like God. Go to her, and you will find her back again in the dirty pigsty. And there they are living still at this very time. Grimm's Household Tales, translated by Margaret Hunt, read by Paul Martin. This audiobook and its underlying text is in the public domain. Number 33. The Free Languages. An aged count once lived in Switzerland who had an only son, but he was stupid and could learn nothing. Then said the father, Listen, my son, I can get nothing into your head. Let me try as I will. You must go from here. I will give you into the care of a celebrated master, who shall see what he can do with you. 
the youth was sent into a strange town and remained a whole year with the master. At the end of this time, he came home again, and his father asked, Now, my son, what have you learnt? Father, I have learnt what the dogs say when they bark. Lord have mercy on us, cried the father. Is that all you have learnt? I will send you into another town to another master. The youth was taken there and stayed a year with his master likewise. When he came back, the father again asked, My son, what have you learnt? He answered, Father, I have learnt what the birds say. Then the father fell into a rage and said, Oh, you lost man, you have spent precious time and learnt nothing. Are you not ashamed to appear before my eyes? I will send you to a third master. But if you learn nothing this time also, I will no longer be your father. The youth remained a whole year with the third master also, and when he came home again, and his father inquired, My son, what have you learnt? He answered, Dear father, I have this year learnt what the frogs croak. Then the father fell into the most furious anger, sprang up and called his people over and said, This man is no longer my son. I cast him out and command you to take him out into the forest and kill him. They took him there. But when they should have killed him, they could not do it for pity and let him go. And they cut the eyes and the tongue out of a deer that they might carry them to the old man as a token. The youth wandered on, and after some time came to a fortress, where he begged for a night's lodging. Yes, said the lord of the castle, if you will pass the night down there in the old tower, go there. But I warn you, it is at the peril of your life, for it is full of wild dogs which bark and howl without stopping, and at certain hours a man has to be given to them whom they at once devour. The whole district was in sorrow and dismay because of them, and yet no one could do anything to stop this. The youth, however, was without fear, and said, Just let me go down to the barking dogs, and give me something that I can throw to them. They will do nothing to harm me. Since he himself insisted, they gave him some food for the wild animals, and led him down to the tower. When he went inside, the dogs did not bark at him, but wagged their tails quite amicably around him, ate what he set before them, and did not hurt one hair on his head. Next morning, to the astonishment of everyone, he came out again safe and unharmed, and said to the lord of the castle, The dogs have revealed to me in their own language why they dwell there and bring evil on the land. They are bewitched, and are obliged to watch over a great treasure which is below in the tower, and they can have no rest until it is taken away, and I have likewise learnt from their discourse how that is to be done. Then all who heard this rejoiced, and the lord of the castle said he would adopt him as a son if he accomplished it successfully. He went down again, 
and as he knew what he had to do, he did it thoroughly and brought a chest full of gold out with him. The howling of the wild dogs was heard no more. They had disappeared, and the country was freed from the trouble. After some time, he took it into his head that he would travel to Rome. On the way, he passed by a marsh in which a number of frogs were sitting croaking. He listened to them, and when he became aware of what they were saying, he grew very thoughtful and sad. At last he arrived in Rome where the Pope had just died, and there was great difficulty as to whom they should appoint as his successor. They at length agreed that the person chosen as Pope should be distinguished by some divine and miraculous token. And just as that was decided on, the young Count entered into the church and suddenly two snow-white doves flew on his shoulders and remained sitting there. The ecclesiastics recognised that as a token from above and asked him on the spot if he would be Pope. He was undecided and knew not if he were worthy of this, but the doves counselled him to do it and at length he said yes. Then was he anointed and consecrated and thus was fulfilled the prophecy he had heard from the frogs on his way which had so disturbed him that he was to be his holiness the Pope. Then he had to sing a mass and did not know one word of it, but the two doves sat continually on his shoulders and said it all in his ear. Grimm's Household Tales Translated by Margaret Hunt, read by Paul Martin. This audiobook and its underlying text is in the public domain. Number 35, The Tailor in Heaven. One very fine day it came to pass that the good God wished to enjoy himself in the heavenly garden and took all the apostles and saints with him, so that no one stayed in heaven but St. Peter. The Lord had commanded him to let no one in during his absence, so Peter stood by the door and kept watch. Before long, someone knocked. Peter asked who was there and what he wanted. I'm a poor honest tailor who prays for admission, replied a smooth voice. Honest indeed, said Peter, like the thief on the gallows. You have been light-fingered and have stolen snippets of folks' clothes. You will not get into heaven. The Lord has forbidden me to let anyone in while he is out. Come, do be merciful, cried the tailor. Little scraps which fall off the table of their own accord are not stolen and are not worth speaking about. Look, I am lame and have blisters on my feet from walking here. I cannot possibly turn back again. Let me in and I will do all the rough work. I will carry the children and wash their clothes and wash and clean the benches on which they have been playing and patch all their torn clothes. St. Peter let himself be moved by pity and opened the door of heaven just wide enough for the lame tailor to slip his lean body in. He was forced to sit down in a corner behind the door and was to stay quietly and peaceably there in order that the Lord, when he returned, might not observe him and be angry. The tailor obeyed, but once when St. Peter went 
Outside the door, he got up and, full of curiosity, went round about into every corner of heaven and inspected the arrangement of every place. At length he came to a spot where many beautiful and delightful chairs were standing, and in the middle was a seat all of gold, which was set with shining jewels. It was much higher than the other chairs, and a footstool of gold was before it. It was, however, the seat on which the Lord sat when he was at home, and from which he could see everything which happened on earth. The tailor stood still, and looked at the seat for a long time, for it pleased him better than all else. At last he could master his curiosity no longer, and climbed up and seated himself in the chair. Then he saw everything which was happening on earth, and observed an ugly old woman, who was washing clothes by the side of a stream, secretly laying two veils on the side for herself. The sight of this made the tailor so angry that he laid hold of the golden footstool and threw it down to earth through heaven at the old thief. Since, however, he could not bring the stool back again, he slipped quietly out of the chair, seated himself in his place behind the door, and behaved as if he had never stirred from the spot. When the Lord and Master came back again with his heavenly companions, he did not see the tailor behind the door, but when he seated himself on his chair, the footstool was missing. He asked St. Peter what had become of the stool, but he did not know. Then he asked if he had let anyone come in. I know of no one who has been here, answered Peter. But a lame tailor, who is still sitting behind the door. Then the Lord had the tailor brought before him, and asked him if he had taken away the stool, and where he had put it. O Lord, answered the tailor joyously, I threw it in my anger down to earth at an old woman whom I saw stealing two veils while washing. O oh, you knave, said the Lord, were I to judge you as you judge, how do you think you could have escaped judgment so long? I should have no chairs, benches, seats, nay, not even fire tongs, for I would have thrown everything down at the sinners long ago. Now you can stay no longer in heaven, but must go outside the door again. Then go where you will. No one shall give punishment here, but I alone the Lord. St. Peter was obliged to take the tailor out of heaven again, and as he had torn shoes and feet covered with blisters, he took a stick in his hand and went to wait a bit where the good soldiers sit and make merry. Grimm's Household Tales, translated by Margaret Hunt, read by Paul Martin. This audiobook and its underlying text is in the public domain. Number 43. Frau Trudy. There was once a little girl who was obstinate and inquisitive, and when her parents told her to do anything, she did not obey them. So how could she fare well? One day she said to her parents, I have heard so much of Frau Trudy, 
I will go to her some day. People say that everything about her does look so strange and that there are such odd things in her house that I've become quite curious. Her parents absolutely forbade her and said Frau Trudy is a bad woman who does wicked things and if you go to her you are no longer our child. But the maiden did not let herself be stopped by her parents' prohibition and still went to Frau Trudy. And when she got to her, Frau Trudy said, Why are you so pale? Ah, she replied, and her whole body trembled. I have been so terrified at what I have seen. What have you seen? I saw a black man on your steps. That was a collier. Then I saw a green man. That was a hunter. After that, I saw a blood-red man. That was a butcher. Ah, Frau Trudy, I was terrified. I looked through the window and saw not you, but as I verily believe, the devil himself with a head of fire. Aho, said she. Then you have seen the witch in her proper costume. I have been waiting for you and wanting you a long time already. You shall give me some light. Then she changed the girl into a block of wood and threw it into the fire. And when it was in full blaze, she sat down close to it and warmed herself by it and said, That shines bright for once. Grimm's Household Tales, translated by Margaret Hunt, read by Paul Martin. This audiobook and its underlying text is in the public domain. Number 68. The Thief and His Master Hans wished to send his son to learn a trade, so he went into the church and prayed to our Lord God to know which would be most advantageous for him. Then the clerk got behind the altar and said, Thieving! Thieving! At this, Hans goes back to his son and tells him he is to learn thieving and that the Lord God had said so. So, he goes with his son to seek a man who is acquainted with thieving. They walk a long time and come into a great forest where stands a little house with an old woman in it. Hans says, Do you know of a man who is acquainted with thieving? You can learn that here quite well, says the woman. My son is a master of it. So he speaks with the son, and asks if he knows thieving really well. The master thief says, I will teach him well. Come back when a year is over, and then if you recognise your son... I will take no payment at all for teaching him, but if you don't know him, you must give me two hundred talkers. The father goes home again, and the son learns witchcraft and thieving thoroughly. When the year is over, the father is full of anxiety to know how he is to recognise his son. As he is thus going about in his trouble, he meets a little dwarf who says, Man, what ails you, that you are always in such trouble? Oh, says Hans, 
A year ago I placed my son with a master thief who told me I was to come back when the year was over, and that if I did not know my son when I saw him, I was to pay two hundred talkers. But if I did know him, I was to pay nothing, and now I am afraid of not knowing him, and can't tell where I am to get the money. Then the dwarf tells him to take a small basket of bread with him, and to stand beneath the chimney. There on the crossbeam is a basket, out of which a little bird is peeping, and that is your son. Hans goes there, and throws a little basket full of black bread in front of the basket with the bird in it, and the little bird comes out and looks up. Hello, my son. Are you here, says the father, and the son is delighted to see his father, but the master thief says, The devil must have prompted you, or how could you have known your son? Father, let us go now, says the youth. Then the father and son set out homeward. On the way, a carriage comes driving by, and the son says to the father, I will change myself into a large greyhound and then you can earn a great deal of money by me. Then the gentleman calls from the carriage, My man, will you sell your dog? Yes, says the father. How much do you want for it? Thirty talkers. Eh, man, that is too much. But as it is such a very fine dog, I will have it. The gentleman takes it into his carriage, but when they have driven a little farther, the dog springs out of the carriage through the window and goes back to his father, and is no longer a greyhound. They go home together. Next day there is a fair in the neighbouring town, so the youth says to his father, I will now change myself into a beautiful horse, and you can sell me, but when you have sold me, you must take off my bridle or I cannot become a man again. Then the father goes with the horse to the fair, and the master thief comes and buys the horse for a hundred talkers, but the father forgets, and does not take off the bridle. So the man goes home with the horse, and puts it in the stable. When the maid crosses the threshold, the horse says, Take off my bridle, take off my bridle. Then the maid stands still and says, What? Can you speak? So she goes and takes the bridle off, and the horse becomes a sparrow and flies out at the door, and the master becomes a sparrow also and flies after him. Then they come together and cast lots, but the master loses and changes himself to the water and is a fish. Then the youth also becomes a fish, and they cast lots again, and the master loses. So the master changes himself into a cock, and the youth becomes a fox, and bites the master's head off. And he died, and has remained dead to this day. Grimm's Household Tales, translated by Margaret Hunt, read by Paul Martin. This audiobook and its underlying text is in the public domain. Number 76 the pink. There was once on a time a queen to whom God had given no children. 
Every morning she went into the garden and prayed to God in heaven to bestow on her a son or a daughter. Then an angel from heaven came to her and said, Be at rest, you shall have a son with the power of wishing, so that whatever in the world he wishes for, that shall he have. Then she went to the king and told him the joyful tidings, and when the time came she gave birth to a son, and the king was filled with gladness. Every morning she went with the child to the garden where the wild beasts were kept and washed herself there in a clear stream. It happened one day, when the child was a little older, that it was lying in her arms, and she fell asleep. Then came the old cook, who knew that the child had the power of wishing, and stole it away, and he took a hen, and cut it in pieces, and dropped some of its blood on the queen's apron, and on her dress. Then he carried the child away to a secret place, where a nurse was obliged to suckle it, and he ran to the king, and accused the queen of having allowed her child to be taken from her by the wild beasts. When the king saw the blood on her apron, he believed this, fell into such a passion that he ordered a high tower to be built, in which neither sun nor moon could be seen, and had his wife put into it and walled up. Here she was to stay for seven years without meat or drink and die of hunger. But God sent two angels from heaven in the shape of white doves, which flew to her twice a day, and carried her food until the seven years were over. The cook, however, thought to himself, If the child has the power of wishing, and I am here, he might very easily get me into trouble. So he left the palace, and went to the boy, who was already big enough to speak, and said to him, Wish for a beautiful palace for yourself with a garden and all else that pertains to it. Scarcely were the words out of the boy's mouth when everything was there that he had wished for. After a while the cook said to him, It is not good for you to be so alone. Wish for a pretty girl as a companion. Then the king's son wished for one, and she immediately stood before him, and was more beautiful than any painter could have painted her. The two played together and loved each other with all their hearts, and the old cook went out hunting like a nobleman. The thought, however, occurred to him that the king's son might some day wish to be with his father, and thus bring him into great peril. So he went out and took the maiden aside and said, Tonight when the boy is asleep, go to his bed and plunge this knife into his heart and bring me his heart and tongue. And if you do not do it, you shall lose your life. Thereupon he went away, and when he returned next day, she had not done it, and said, Why should I shed the blood of an innocent boy who has never harmed anyone? The cook once more said, If you do not do it, it shall cost you your own life. When he had gone away, she had a little deer brought to her and ordered her to be killed and took her heart and tongue and laid them on a plate.
And when she saw the old man coming, she said to the boy, Lie down in your bed and draw the covers over you. Then the wicked wretch came in and said, Where are the boy's heart and tongue? The girl reached the plate to him, but the king's son threw off the quilt and said, You old sinner, why did you want to kill me? Now I will pronounce your sentence. You shall become a black poodle and have a gold collar round your neck and you shall eat burning coals till the flames burst forth from your throat. And when he had spoken these words, the old man was changed into a poodle dog and had a gold collar round his neck and the cooks were ordered to bring up some live coals and these he ate until the flames broke forth from his throat. The king's son remained there a short while longer, and he thought of his mother, and wondered if she was still alive. At length he said to the maiden, I will go home to my own country. If you will go with me, I will provide for you. Ah, she replied, the way is so long, and what shall I do in a strange land where I am unknown? As she did not seem quite willing, and as they could not be parted from each other, he wished that she might be changed into a beautiful pink, and took her with him. Then he went away to his own country, and the poodle had to run after him. He went to the tower in which his mother was confined, and as it was so high he wished for a ladder, which would reach up to the very top. Then he mounted up and looked inside and cried, Beloved mother, lady queen, are you still alive, or are you dead? She answered, I have just eaten, and am still satisfied, for she thought the angels were there. Said he, I am your dear son, whom the wild beasts were said to have torn from your arms, but I am still alive, and will speedily rescue you. Then he descended again and went to his father and had himself announced as a strange hunter and asked if he could enter his service. The king said yes, if he was skilful and could get game for him, he should come join him, but the deer had never taken up their quarters in any part of the district or country. Then the hunter promised to procure as much game for him as he could possibly use at the royal table. So he summoned all the hunters together and bade them go out into the forest with him, and he went with them and made them form a great circle open at one end where he stationed himself and began to wish. Two hundred deer and more came running inside the circle at once and the hunters shot them. Then they were all placed on sixty country wagons and driven home to the king and for once he was able to deck his table with game after having had none at all for years. Now the king felt great joy at this and commanded that his entire household should eat with him next day and made a great feast. When they were all assembled together he said to the hunter, as you are so clever, you shall sit by me. He replied, Lord King, your majesty must excuse me. I am a poor hunter. But the king insisted on it and said, You shall sit by me, until he did it. 
While he was sitting there, he thought of his dearest mother and wished that one of the king's principal servants would begin to speak of her and would ask how it was faring with the queen in the tower and if she were alive still or had perished. Hardly had he formed the wish than the marshal began and said, Your Majesty, we live joyously here, but how is the queen living in the tower? Is she still alive or has she died? But the king replied, She let my dear son be torn to pieces by wild beasts. I will not have her named. Then the hunter arose and said, Gracious Lord Father, she is alive still, and I am her son, and I was not carried away by wild beasts, but by that wretch the old cook who tore me from her arms when she was asleep and sprinkled her apron with the blood of a chicken. Thereupon he took the dog with the golden collar and said, That is the wretch, and caused live coals to be brought, and these the dog was compelled to devour before the sight of all, until flames burst forth from its throat. At this the hunter asked the king if he would like to see the dog in his true shape, and wished him back into the form of the cook, in which he stood immediately with his white apron and his knife by his side. When the king saw him, he fell into a passion, and ordered him to be cast into the deepest dungeon. Then the hunter spoke further and said, Father, will you see the maiden who brought me up so tenderly, and who was afterwards to murder me, but did not do it? though her own life depended on it. The king replied, Yes, I would like to see her. The son said, Most gracious father, I will show her to you in the form of a beautiful flower. And he thrust his hand into his pocket and brought forth the pink and placed it on the royal table. And it was so beautiful that the king had never seen one to equal it. Then the son said, Now I will show her to you in her own form, and wished that she might become a maiden, and she stood there looking so beautiful that no painter could have made her look more so. And the king sent two waiting maids and two attendants into the tower to fetch the queen and bring her to the royal table. But when she was led in, she ate nothing and said, The gracious and merciful God, who has supported me in the tower, will speedily release me. She lived three days more, and then died happily. And when she was buried, the two white doves, which had brought her food to the tower, and were angels of heaven, followed her body and seated themselves on her grave. The aged king ordered the cook to be torn in four pieces, but grief consumed the king's own heart, and he soon died. His son married the beautiful maiden, whom he had brought with him as a flower in his pocket, and whether they are still alive or not is known to God. Grimm's Household Tales, translated by Margaret Hunt, read by Paul Martin. This audiobook and its underlying text is in the public domain. Number 81. Brother Lustig. There was once a great war, and when it came to an end, many soldiers were discharged. Then Brother Lustig 
also received his dismissal, and besides that, nothing but a small loaf of bread and four cruises in money, with which he departed. St. Peter, however, placed himself in his way, in the shape of a poor beggar, and when Brother Lustig came up, he begged alms of him. Brother Lustig replied, Dear beggar, what am I to give you? I have been a soldier and have received my dismissal and have nothing but this little loaf of bread and four cruises of money. When that is gone, I shall have to beg as well as you. Still, I will give you something. Thereupon he divided the loaf into four parts and gave the apostle one of them, and a cruiser likewise. St. Peter thanked him, went onwards, and threw himself again in the soldier's way as a beggar, but in another shape, and when he came up begged a gift of him as before. Brother Lustig spoke as he had done before, and gave him a quarter of the loaf and one cruiser. St. Peter thanked him and went onwards, but for the third time placed himself in another shape as a beggar on the road, and spoke to Brother Lustig. Brother Lustig gave him also the third quarter of bread and the third cruiser. St. Peter thanked him, and Brother Lustig went onwards, and had but a quarter of a loaf and one cruiser. When that, he went into an inn, ate the bread, and ordered one cruiser's worth of beer. When he had had it, he journeyed onwards, and then St. Peter, who had assumed the appearance of a discharged soldier, met and spoke to him thus, Good day, comrade. Can you not give me a bit of bread and a cruiser to get a drink? Where am I to procure it? answered Brother Lustig. I have been discharged, and I got nothing but a loaf of bread and four cruisers in money. I met three beggars on the road, and I gave each of them a quarter of my bread, and one cruiser. The last quarter I ate in the inn, and had a drink with the last cruiser. Now my pockets are empty, and if you also have nothing, we can go a-begging together. No, answered St. Peter. We need not do that. I know a little about medicine and I will soon earn as much as I require by that. Indeed, said Brother Lustig, I know nothing of that, so I must go and beg alone. Just come with me, said St. Peter, and if I earn anything, you shall have half of it. All right, said Brother Lustig, so they went away together. Then they came to a peasant's house, inside which they heard loud lamentations and cries. So they went in, and there the husband was lying sick unto death, and very near his end, and his wife was crying and weeping quite loudly. Stop that howling and crying, said St. Peter. I will make the man well again. And he took a salve out of his pocket, and healed the sick man in a moment so that he could get up and was in perfect health. In great delight, the man and his wife said, How can we reward you? What shall we give you? But St. Peter would take nothing, and the more the peasant folks offered him, the more he refused. Brother Lustig, however, nudged St. Peter and said, Take something, 
Sure enough, we are in need of it. At length the woman brought a lamb, and said to St. Peter that he really must take that, but he would not. Then Brother Lustick gave him a poke in the side and said, Do take it, you stupid fool, we are in great want of it. Then St. Peter said at last, Well, I will take the lamb, but I won't carry it. If you will insist on having it, you must carry it. That is nothing, said Brother Lustick. I will easily carry it, and took it on his shoulder. Then they departed and came to a wood, but Brother Lustick had begun to feel the lamb heavy, and he was hungry, so he said to St. Peter, Look, that's a good place, we might cook the lamb there and eat it. As you like, answered St. Peter, but I can't have anything to do with the cooking. If you will cook, there is a kettle for you. And in the meantime, I will walk about a little until it is ready. You must, however, not begin to eat until I have come back. I will come at the right time. Well, go then, said Brother Lustick. I understand cookery. I will manage it. Then St. Peter went away, and Brother Lustick killed the lamb, lighted a fire, threw the meat into the kettle, and boiled it. The lamb was, however, quite ready, and the Apostle Peter had not come back, so Brother Lustick took it out of the kettle, cut it up, and found the heart. That is said to be the best part, said he, and tasted it, but at last he ate it all up. At length St. Peter returned and said, You may eat the whole of the lamb yourself. I will only have the heart. Give me that. Then Brother Lustick took a knife and fork and pretended to look anxiously about amongst the lamb's flesh, but not to be able to find the heart, and at last he said abruptly, There is none here. But where can it be? said the Apostle. I don't know, replied Brother Lustick, but look what fools we both are to seek for the lamb's heart, and neither of us to remember that a lamb has no heart. Oh, said St. Peter, that is something quite new. Every animal has a heart. Why is a lamb to have none? No, be assured, my brother, said Brother Lustick, that a lamb has no heart. Just consider it seriously. And then you will see that it really has none. Well, it is all right, said St. Peter. If there is no heart, then I want none of the lamb. You may eat it alone. What I can't eat now I will carry away in my knapsack, said Brother Lustick. And he ate half the lamb and put the rest in his knapsack. They went farther and then St. Peter caused a great stream of water to flow right across their path, and they were obliged to pass through it. Said St. Peter, You go first. No, answered Brother Lustick, You must go first. And he thought, If the water is too deep, I will stay behind. Then St. Peter strode through it, and the water just reached to his knee. So Brother Lustick began to go through also, but the water grew deeper and reached to his throat. 
Then he cried, Brother, help me. Saint Peter said, Then will you confess that you have eaten the lamb's heart? No, said he, I have not eaten it. Then the water grew deeper still and rose to his mouth. Help me, brother, cried the soldier. Saint Peter said, Then will you confess that you have eaten the lamb's heart? No, he replied, I have not eaten it. Saint Peter, however, would not let him be drowned, but made the water sink and helped him through it. Then they journeyed onwards and came to a kingdom where they heard that the king's daughter lay sick and dying. Hollow brother, said the soldier to Saint Peter, this is a chance for us. If we can heal her, we shall be provided for for life. But St. Peter was not half quick enough for him. Come, lift your legs, my dear brother, said he, that we may get there in time. But St. Peter walked slower and slower, though Brother Lustig did all he could to drive and push him on, and at last they heard that the princess was dead. Now we are done for, said Brother Lustig. That is what comes of your sleepy way of walking. Just be quiet, answered St. Peter. I can do more than cure sick people. I can bring dead ones to life again. Well, if you can do that, said Brother Lustig, it's all right. But you should earn at least half the kingdom for us by doing that. Then they went to the royal palace where everyone was in great grief. But St. Peter told the king that he would restore his daughter to life. He was taken to her and said, Bring me a kettle and some water. And when that was brought, he bade everyone go out and allowed no one to remain with him but Brother Lustig. Then he cut off all the dead girl's limbs and threw them in the water, lighted a fire beneath the kettle and boiled them. And when the flesh had fallen away from the bones, he took out the beautiful white bones and laid them on a table and arranged them together in their natural order. When he had done that, he stepped forward and said three times, In the name of the Holy Trinity, dead woman, arise. And at the third time the princess arose living, healthy and beautiful. Then the king was in the greatest joy and said to St. Peter, Ask for your reward. Even if it were half my kingdom, I would give it to you. But St. Peter said, I want nothing for it. Oh, you Tom fool, thought Brother Lustig to himself, and nudged his comrade's side, and said, Don't be so stupid. If you have no need of anything, I have. St. Peter, however, would have nothing. But as the king saw that the other would very much like to have something, he ordered his treasurer to fill Brother Lustig's knapsack with gold. Then they went on their way, and when they came to a forest, St. Peter said to Brother Lustig, Now we will divide the gold. Yes, he replied, we will. So St. Peter divided the gold and divided it into three heaps. Brother Lustig thought to himself, 
What craze has he got in his head now? He's making free shares, and there are only two of us. But St. Peter said, I have divided it exactly. There is one share for me, one for you, and one for whoever ate the lamb's heart. Oh, I ate that, replied Brother Lustig, and hastily swept up the gold. You may trust what I say. But how can that be true, said St. Peter, when a lamb has no heart? Nonsense, brother. What can you be thinking of? Lambs have hearts like other animals. Why should only they have none? Well, so be it, said St. Peter. Keep the gold to yourself, but I will stay with you no longer. I will go my way alone. As you like, dear brother, answered Brother Lustig. Farewell. Then St. Peter went a different road, but Brother Lustig thought, It is a good thing that he has taken himself off. He is certainly a strange saint after all. Then he had money enough, but did not know how to manage it, squandered it, gave it away, and when some time had gone by, once more had nothing. Then he arrived in a certain country where he heard that a king's daughter was dead. Oh ho, thought he, that may be a good thing for me. I will bring her to life again and see that I am paid as I ought to be. So he went to the king and offered to raise the dead girl to life again. Now the king had heard that a discharged soldier was travelling about and bringing dead persons to life again, and thought that Brother Lustig was the man. But as he had no confidence in him, he consulted his counsellors first, who said that he might give it a trial, as his daughter was already dead. Then Brother Lustig ordered water to be brought to him in a kettle, bade everyone go out, cut the limbs off, threw them in the water, and lighted a fire beneath, just as he had seen St. Peter do. The water began to boil, the flesh fell off, and then he took the bones out and laid them on the table, but he did not know the order in which to lay them, and placed them all wrong and in confusion. Then he stood before them and said, In the name of the Most Holy Trinity, dead maiden, I bid you arise. And he said this thrice, but the bones did not stir. So he said it thrice more, but also in vain. Confounded girl that you are, get up, cried he, get up, or it shall be even worse for you. When he had said that, St. Peter suddenly appeared in his former shape as a discharged soldier. He entered by the window and said, Godless man, what are you doing? How can the dead maiden arise when you have thrown about her bones in such confusion? Dear brother, I have done everything to the best of my ability, he answered. This once I will help you out of your difficulty. But one thing I tell you, and that is if you ever undertake anything of this kind again, it will be the worse for you. 
and also that you must neither demand nor accept the smallest thing from the king for this. Thereupon St. Peter laid the bones in their right order, said to the maiden three times, In the name of the most holy trinity, dead maiden, arise. And the king's daughter arose healthy and beautiful as before. Then St. Peter went away again by the window, and Brother Lustig was rejoiced to find that all had passed off so well, but was very much vexed to think that, after all, he was not to take anything for it. I should just like to know, thought he, what fancy that fellow has got in his head. For what he gives with one hand, he takes away with the other. There is no sense whatsoever in it. Then the king offered Brother Lustig whatever he wished to have. But he did not dare to take anything. However, by hints and cunning, he contrived to make the king order his knapsack to be filled with gold for him, and with that he departed. When he got out, St. Peter was standing by the door and said, Just look what a man you are. Did I not forbid you to take anything? And there you have your knapsack full of gold. How can I help that? answered Brother Lustig, if people will put it in for me. Well, I tell you this, that if you ever set about anything of this kind again, you shall suffer for it. Eh, brother, have no fear. Now I have money. Why should I trouble myself with washing bones? Faith, said St. Peter. The gold will not last a long time. In order that after this you may never tread in unlawful paths, I will bestow on your knapsack this property, namely that whatever you wish to have inside it shall be there. Farewell. You will now never see me again. Goodbye, said Brother Lustig, and thought to himself, I am very glad that you have taken yourself off, you strange fellow. I shall certainly not follow you. But of the magical power which had been bestowed on his knapsack, he fought no more. Brother Lustig travelled about with his money and squandered and wasted what he had as before. When at last he had no more than four cruises, he passed by an inn and thought, the money must go, and ordered three cruises worth of wine and one cruises worth of bread for himself. As he was sitting there drinking, the smell of roast goose made its way to his nose. Brother Lustig looked about and peeped and saw that the host had two geese standing in the oven. Then he remembered that his comrade had said that whatever he wished to have in his knapsack should be there. So he said, Oh ho, I must try that with the geese. So he went out, and when he was outside the door, he said, I wish those two roasted geese out of the oven and in my knapsack. And when he had said that, he unbuckled it and looked in, and there they were inside it. Ah, that's right, said he. Now I am a made man. And went away to a meadow and took out the roast meat. 
When he was in the middle of his meal, two journeymen came up and looked at the second goose, which was not yet touched with hungry eyes. Brother Lustig thought to himself, One is enough for me, and called the two men up and said, Take the goose and eat it to my health. They thanked him and went with it to the inn, ordered themselves a half bottle of wine and a loaf, took out the goose which had been given them, and began to eat. The hostess saw them and said to her husband, Those two are eating a goose. Just look and see if it is not one of ours and out of the oven. The landlord ran over, and behold, the oven was empty. What? cried he. You thievish crew! You want to eat goose as cheap as that? Pay for it this moment, or I will wash you well with green hazel sap. The two said, We are no thieves. A discharged soldier gave us the goose outside there in the meadow. You shall not throw dust in my eyes that way. The soldier was here, but he went out by the door like an honest fellow. I looked after him myself. You are the thieves, and shall pay. But as they could not pay, he took a stick and cudgelled them out of the house. Brother Lustig went his way and came to a place where there was a magnificent castle, and not far from it a wretched inn. He went to the inn and asked for a night's lodging, but the landlord turned him away and said, There is no more room here. The house is full of noble guests. It surprises me that they should come to you and not go to that splendid castle, said Brother Lustig. Ah, indeed, replied the host, but it is no slight matter to sleep there for a night. No one who has tried it so far has ever come out of it alive. If others have tried it, said Brother Lustig, I will try it too. Leave it alone, said the host. It will cost you your neck. It won't kill me at once, said Brother Lustig. Just give me the key and some good food and wine. So the host gave him the key and food and wine, and with this Brother Lustig went into the castle, enjoyed his supper, and at length, as he was sleepy, he lay down on the ground, for there was no bed. He soon fell asleep, but during the night was disturbed by a great noise, and when he awoke he saw nine ugly devils in the room, who had made a circle and were dancing around him. Brother Lustig said, Well, dance as long as you like, but none of you must come too close. But the devils pressed continually nearer to him and almost stepped on his face with their hideous feet. Stop, you devil's ghost, said he, but they behaved still worse. Then Brother Lustig grew angry and cried, Ho, but I will soon make it quiet, and got the leg of a chair and struck out into the midst of them with it. But nine devils against one soldier were still too many and when he struck those in front of him, the others seized him behind by the hair and tore it unmercifully. Devil's crew, cried he, it is getting too bad, but just you wait, into my knapsack, all nine of you. 
In an instant they were in it, and then he buckled it up and threw it into a corner. After this, all was suddenly quiet, and Brother Lustig lay down again and slept till it was bright day. Then he came the innkeeper and the nobleman to whom the castle belonged to see how he had fared. But when they perceived that he was merry and well, they were astonished and asked, Have the spirits done you no harm then? The reason why they have not answered Brother Lustig is because I have got the whole nine of them in my knapsack. You may once more inhabit your castle quite tranquilly. None of them will ever haunt it again. The nobleman thanked him, gave him rich presents, and begged him to remain in his service, and he would provide for him as long as he lived. No, replied Brother Lustig, I am used to wandering about. I will travel farther. Then he went away and entered into a smithy, laid the knapsack which contained the nine devils on the anvil, and asked the smith and his apprentices to strike it. So they struck with their great hammers with all their strength, and the devils uttered howls which were quite pitiable. When he opened the knapsack after this, eight of them were dead, but one which had been lying in a fold of it was still alive, slipped out, and went back again to hell. Thereupon Brother Lustig travelled a long time about the world, and those who know them can tell many a story about him. But at last he grew old, and thought of his end, so he went to a hermit, who was known to be a pious man, and said to him, I am tired of wandering about, and want to now behave in such a manner that I shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. The hermit replied, There are two roads, one is broad and pleasant, and leads to hell, the other is narrow and rough, and leads to heaven. I should be a fool, thought Brother Lustig, if I were to take the narrow, rough road. So he set out and took the broad and pleasant road, and at length came to a great black door, which was the door of hell. Brother Lustig knocked, and the gatekeeper peeped out to see who was there. But when he saw Brother Lustig, he was terrified for he was the very same ninth devil who had been shut up in the knapsack and had escaped from it with a black eye. So he pushed the bolt in again as quickly as he could, ran to the devil's lieutenant and said, There is a fellow outside with a knapsack who wants to come in, but as you value your lives, don't allow him to enter or he will wish the whole of hell into his knapsack. He once gave me a frightful hammering when I was inside it. So they called out to Brother Lustig that he was to go away, for he should not get in there. If they won't have me here, thought he, I will see if I can find a place for myself in heaven, for I must be somewhere. So he turned about and went onwards until he came to the door of heaven where he knocked. St. Peter was sitting nearby as gatekeeper. Brother Lustig recognised him at once and thought, Here I find an old friend, 
I shall get on better. But St. Peter said, I really believe that you want to come into heaven. Let me in, brother. I must get in somewhere. If they would have taken me into hell, I should not have come here. No, said St. Peter, you shall not enter. Then if you will not let me in, take your knapsack back, for I will have nothing at all from you. Give it here then, said St. Peter. Then Brother Lustig gave him the knapsack into heaven through the bars, and St. Peter took it and hung it beside his seat. Then said Brother Lustig, And now I wish myself inside my knapsack. And in a second he was in it, and in heaven, and St. Peter was forced to let him stay there. Grimm's Household Tales, translated by Margaret Hunt, read by Paul Martin. This audio book and its underlying text is in the public domain. Number 87. The Poor Man and the Rich Man In olden times when the Lord himself still used to walk about on this earth among men, it once happened that he was tired and overtaken by the darkness before he could reach an inn. Now there stood on the road before him two houses facing each other, the one large and beautiful, the other small and poor. The large one belonged to a rich man and the small one to a poor man. Then the Lord thought, I shall be no burden to the rich man. I will stay the night with him. When the rich man heard someone knocking at his door, he opened the window and asked the stranger what he wanted. The Lord answered, I only ask for a night's lodging. Then the rich man looked at the traveller from head to foot, and as the Lord was wearing common clothes and did not look like one who had much money in his pocket, he shook his head and said, No, I cannot take you in. My rooms are full of herbs and seeds, and if I were to lodge everyone who knocked at my door, I might very soon go begging myself. Go somewhere else for a lodging. And with this he shut the window and left the Lord standing there. So the Lord turned his back on the rich man, and went across to the small house, and knocked. He had hardly done so when the poor man opened the little door, and bade the traveller come in. Pass the night with me, it is already dark, said he. You cannot go any further tonight. This pleased the Lord, and he went in. The poor man's wife shook hands with him and welcomed him, and said he was to make himself at home, and put up with what they had. They had not much to offer him, but what they had, they would give him with all their hearts. Then she put the potatoes on the fire, and while they were boiling, she milked the goat, that they might have a little milk with them. When the cloth was laid, the Lord sat down with the man and his wife, and he enjoyed their coarse food, for there were happy faces at the table. When they had had supper, and it was bedtime, the woman called her husband apart and said, Dear husband, let us make up a bed of straw for ourselves tonight, and then the poor traveller can sleep in our bed and have a good rest, for he has been walking the whole day through. 
and that makes one weary. With all my heart, he answered, I will go and offer it to him. And he went to the stranger and invited him, if he had no objection, to sleep in their bed and rest his limbs properly. But the Lord was unwilling to take the bed from the two old folks, however. They would not be satisfied until at length he did it and lay down in the bed, while they themselves lay on some straw on the ground. Next morning... They got up before daybreak and made as good a breakfast as they could for the guest. When the sun shone in through the little window and the Lord had got up, he again ate with them and then prepared to set out on his journey. But as he was standing at the door, he turned round and said, As you are so kind and good, you may wish three things for yourselves and I will grant them. Then the man said, what else should I wish for but eternal happiness? And that we too, as long as we live, may be healthy and have every day our daily bread. For the third wish, I do not know what to have. And the Lord said to him, Will you wish for a new house instead of this old one? Oh yes, said the man, if I can have that too, I should like it very much. And the Lord fulfilled his wish and changed their old house into a new one, again gave them his blessing and went on. The sun was high when the rich man got up and leaned out of his window and saw on the opposite side of the way a new clean-looking house with red tiles and bright windows where the old hut used to be. He was very much astonished and called his wife and said to her, Tell me. What can have happened? Last night there was a miserable little hut standing there, and today there is a beautiful new house. Run over and see how that has come to pass. So his wife went and asked the poor man, and he said to her, Yesterday evening a traveller came here and asked for a night's lodging. And this morning, when he took leave of us, he granted us three wishes, eternal happiness, health during this life, and our daily bread as well, and besides this, a beautiful new house instead of our old hut. When the rich man's wife heard this, she ran back in haste and told her husband how it had happened. The man said, I could tear myself to pieces if I had but known that. That traveller came to our house too and wanted to sleep here and I sent him away. Quick, said his wife, Get on your horse, you can still catch the man up, and then you must ask to have free wishes granted to you. The rich man followed the good counsel and galloped away on his horse, and soon caught up with the Lord. He spoke to him softly and pleasantly, and begged him not to take it amiss that he had not let him in directly. He was looking for the front door key, and in the meantime the stranger had gone away. If he returned the same way, he must come and stay with him. Yes, said the Lord, if I ever come back again, I will do so. Then the rich man asked if might not wish for free things too, as his neighbour had done. Yes, said the Lord, he might, but it would not be to his advantage and he had better not wish for anything. But the rich man thought 
that he could easily ask for something which would add to his happiness if he only knew that it would be granted. So the Lord said to him, Ride home then, and free wishes which you shall form shall be fulfilled. The rich man had now gained what he wanted, so he rode home and began to consider what he should wish for. As he was thus thinking, he let the bridle fall and the horse began to caper about so that he was continually disturbed in his meditations and could not collect his thoughts at all. He patted its neck and said, Gently, Lisa, but the horse only began new tricks. Then at last he was angry and cried quite impatiently, I wish your neck was broken. As soon as he had said the words, down the horse fell on the ground, and there it lay dead and never moved again, and thus was his first wish fulfilled. As he was miserly by nature, he did not like to leave the harness lying there, so he cut it off and put it on his back, and now he had to go on foot. I still have two wishes left, said he, and comforted himself with that thought. And now, as he was walking slowly through the sand, and the sun was burning hot at midday, he grew quite hot-tempered and angry. The saddle hurt his back, and he had not yet any idea what to wish for. If I were to wish for all the riches and treasures in the world, said he to himself, I should still think of all kinds of other things later on. I know that beforehand, but I will manage so that there is nothing at all left for me to wish for afterwards. Then he sighed and said, Ah, if I were but that Bavarian peasant who likewise had three wishes granted to him, and knew quite well what to do, and in the first place wished for a great deal of beer, and in the second for as much beer as he was able to drink, and in the third for a barrel of beer into the bargain. Many a time he thought he had found it, but then it seemed to him to be, after all, too little. Then it came into his mind what an easy life his wife had, for she stayed at home in a cool room and enjoyed herself. This really did vex him, and before he was aware, he said, I just wish she was sitting there on this saddle and could not get off it instead of my having to drag it along on my back. And as the last word was spoken, the saddle disappeared from his back, and he saw that his second wish had been fulfilled. Then he really did feel warm. He began to run and wanted to be quite alone in his own room at home, to think of something really large for his last wish. But when he arrived there and opened the parlour door, he saw his wife sitting in the middle of the room on the saddle, crying and complaining, and quite unable to get off it. So he said, Do bear it, and I will wish for all the riches on earth for you, only stay where you are. She, however, called him a fool and said, What good will all the riches on earth do me if I am to sit on this saddle? You have wished me on it, so you must help me off. So whether he liked it or not, he was forced to let his third wish be that she should be free of the saddle and able to get off it, and immediately the wish was fulfilled. 
So he got nothing by it but vexation, trouble, abuse, and the loss of his horse. But the poor people lived happily, quietly, and piously until their happy death. Grimm's Household Tales, translated by Margaret Hunt, read by Paul Martin. This audiobook and its underlying text is in the public domain. Number 109. The Shroud. There was once a mother who had a little boy of seven years old, who was so handsome and lovable that no one could look at him without liking him, and she worshipped him above everything in the world. Now it so happened that he suddenly became ill, and God took him to himself. And for this the mother could not be comforted, and wept both day and night. But soon afterwards, when the child had been buried, it appeared by night in the places where it had sat and played during its life, and if the mother wept, it wept also, and when morning came it disappeared. As, however, the mother would not stop crying, it came one night in the little white shroud in which it had been laid in its coffin, and with its wreath of flowers round its head, and stood on the bed at her feet, and said, O oh, mother, do stop crying, or I shall never fall asleep in my coffin, for my shroud will not dry because of all your tears which fall upon it. The mother was afraid when she heard that, and wept no more. The next night the child came again, and held a little light in its hand, and said, Look, mother, my shroud is nearly dry, and I can rest in my grave. Then the mother gave her sorrow into God's keeping, and bore it quietly and patiently, and the child came no more, but slept in its little bed beneath the earth. Grimm's Household Tales, translated by Margaret Hunt, read by Paul Martin. This audiobook and its underlying text is in the public domain. Number 117. The Willful Child Once upon a time there was a child who was willful, and would not do as her mother wished. For this reason God had no pleasure in her, and let her become ill, and no doctor could do her any good and in a short time she lay on her deathbed. When she'd been lowered into her grave, and the earth was spread over her, all at once her arm came out again, and stretched upwards, and when they had put it in, and spread fresh earth over it, it was all to no purpose, for the arm always came out again. Then the mother herself was obliged to go to the grave, and strike the arm with a rod, and when she had done that it was drawn in, and then at last the child had rest beneath the ground. Grimm's Household Tales, translated by Margaret Hunt, read by Paul Martin. This audiobook and its underlying text is in the public domain. Number 123. The Old Woman in the Wood. A poor servant girl was once travelling with the family with which she was in service through a great forest, and when they were in the middle of it, robbers came out of the thicket and murdered all they found. 
all perished together except the girl who had jumped out of the carriage in a fright and hidden herself behind a tree. When the robbers had gone away with their booty, she came out and beheld the great disaster. Then she began to weep bitterly and said, What can a poor girl like me do now? I do not know how to get out of the forest. No human being lives in it, so I must certainly starve. She walked about and looked for a road, but could find none. When it was evening, she seated herself under a tree, gave herself into God's keeping, and resolved to sit waiting there and not go away, no matter what might happen. When, however, she had sat there for a while, a white dove came flying to her with a little golden key in its mouth. It put the little key in her hand and said, Do you see that great tree? Therein is a little lock. It opens with the tiny key, and there you will find food enough and suffer no more hunger. Then she went to the tree and opened it and found milk in a little dish and white bread to break into it, so that she could eat her fill. When she was satisfied, she said, It is now the time when the hens at home go to roost. I am so tired I could go to bed too. Then the dove flew to her again, and brought another golden key to its bill, and said, Open that tree there, and you will find a bed. So she opened it, and found a beautiful white bed, and she prayed God to protect her during the night, and lay down and slept. In the morning the dove came for the third time, and again brought a little key, and said, Open that tree there, and you will find clothes. And when she opened it, she found garments beset with gold and with jewels, more splendid than those of any king's daughter. So she lived there for some time, and the dove came every day and provided her with all she needed, and it was a quite good life. Once, however, the dove came and said, Will you do something for my sake? With all my heart, said the girl. Then said the little dove, I will guide you to a small house. Enter it, and inside it an old woman will be sitting by the fire, and will say, Good day. But on your life give her no answer. Let her do what she will, but pass by her on the right side, further on, there is a door, which you will open, and you will enter into a room where a quantity of rings of all kinds are lying amongst which are some magnificent ones with shining stones. Leave them, however, where they are, and seek out a plain one, which must likewise be amongst them, and bring it here to me as quickly as you can. The girl went into the little house and came to the door. There sat an old woman who stared when she saw her and said, Good day, my child. The girl gave her no answer and opened the door. Where away? cried the old woman and seized her by the gown and wanted to hold her fast, saying, That is my house. No one can go in there if I choose not to allow it. 
but the girl was silent, got away from her, and went straight into the room. Now there lay on the table an enormous quantity of rings, which gleamed and glittered before her eyes. She turned them over and looked for the plain one, but could not find it. While she was seeking, she saw the old woman and how she was stealing away and wanting to get off with a bird cage, which she had in her hand. So she went after her and took the cage out of her hand, and when she raised it up and looked into it, a bird was inside which had the plain ring in its bill. Then she took the ring and ran quite joyously home with it and thought the little white dove would come and get the ring, but it did not. Then she leaned against a tree, and determined to wait for the dove, and as she thus stood it seemed just as if the tree was soft and pliant, and was letting its branches down, and suddenly the branches twined around her, and were two arms, and when she looked round the tree was a handsome man who embraced and kissed her heartily and said, You have delivered me from the power of the old woman, who is a wicked witch. She had changed me into a tree, and every day for two hours I was a white dove, and so long as she possessed the ring, I could not regain my human form. Then his servants and his horses, who had likewise been changed into trees, were freed from the enchantment also, and stood beside him. And he led them forth to his kingdom, for he was a king's son. And they married and lived happily. Grimm's Household Tales, translated by Margaret Hunt, read by Paul Martin. This audiobook and its underlying text is in the public domain. Number 139. The Maid of Brackle. A girl from Brackle once went to St. Anne's Chapel at the foot of the Hinnenberg, and as she wanted to have a husband and thought there was no one else in the chapel, she sang, O holy St. Anne, help me soon to a man, you know him right well, but Sutma gate does he dwell. His hair it is golden, you know him right well. The clerk, however, was standing behind the altar and heard that. So he cried in a very gruff voice, You shall not have him! You shall not have him! The maiden thought that the child Mary, who stood by her mother, Anne, had called out to her, and was angry, and cried, Fiddle-dee-dee, conceited thing, hold your tongue, and let your mother speak. Grimm's Household Tales, translated by Margaret Hunt, read by Paul Martin. This audiobook and its underlying text is in the public domain. Number 147. The Old Man Made Young Again. In the time when our Lord still walked this earth, he and St. Peter stopped one evening the smiths and received free quarters. Then it came to pass that a poor beggar, hardly pressed by age and infirmity, came to this house and begged alms of the smith. St. Peter had compassion on him and said, Lord and Master, if it please you, cure his torments that he may be able to win his own bread. The Lord said kindly, Smith, 
Lend me your oven and put on some coals for me, and then I will make his ailing old man young again. The smith was quite willing, and St. Peter blew the bellows. And when the coal fire sparkled up large and high, our Lord took the little old man, pushed him in the oven in the midst of the red-hot fire, so that he glowed like a rose bush, and praised God with a loud voice. After that, the Lord went to the quenching tub, put the glowing little man into it, so that the water closed over him, and after he had carefully cooled him, gave him his blessing. When, behold, the little man sprang nimbly out, looking fresh, strong, healthy, and as if he were twenty. The smith, who had watched everything closely and attentively, invited them all to supper. He, however, had an old, half-blind, crooked mother-in-law, who went to the youth, and with great earnestness asked if the fire had burnt him much. He answered that he had never felt more comfortable, and that he had sat in the red heat as if he had been in cool dew. The youth's words echoed in the ears of the old woman all night long, and early next morning when the Lord had gone on his way again, and had heartily thanked the smith, the latter thought he might make his old mother-in-law young again the same way as he had watched everything so carefully, and it lay in the province of his trade. So he called to ask her if she too would like to go bounding about like a girl of eighteen. She said, with all my heart, as the youth has come out of it so well. So the smith made a great fire and thrust the old woman into it, and she writhed about this way and that and uttered terrible cries of murder. Sit still, why are you screaming and jumping about so, cried he, and as he spoke he blew the bellows again until all her rags were burnt. The old woman cried without ceasing, and the smith thought to himself, I have not quite the right art, and took her out and threw her into the cooling tub. Then she screamed so loudly that the smith's wife upstairs and her daughter-in-law heard, and they both ran downstairs and saw the old woman lying in a heap in the quenching tub, howling and screaming, with her face wrinkled and shriveled, and all out of shape. Then the two, who were both with child, were so terrified that that very night two boys were born, who were not made like men but apes, and they ran into the woods, and from them sprang the race of apes. Grimm's Household Tales, translated by Margaret Hunt, read by Paul Martin. This audiobook and its underlying text is in the public domain. Number 148. The Lord's Animals and the Devils. The Lord God had created all animals, and had chosen out the wolf to be his dog. But he had forgotten the goat. Then the devil made ready, and began to create also, and created goats with fine long tails. 
Now when they went to pasture, they generally remained caught in the hedges by their tails. Then the devil had to go there and disentangle them with a great deal of trouble. This enraged him at last, and he went and bit off the tail of every goat, as may be seen to this day by the stump. Then he let them go to pasture alone. But it came to pass that the Lord God perceived how at one time they gnawed away at a fruitful tree, at another injured the noble vines, or destroyed other tender plants. This distressed him, so that in his goodness and mercy he summoned his wolves, who soon tore in pieces the goats that went there. When the devil observed this, he went before the Lord and said, Your creatures have destroyed mine. The Lord answered, Why did you create things to do harm? The devil said, I was compelled to do it. Inasmuch as my thoughts run on evil, what I create can have no other nature, and you must pay me heavy damages. I will pay you as soon as the oak leaves fall. Come then, your money will be ready, counted out. When the oak leaves had fallen, the devil came and demanded what was due to him. But the Lord said, In the church of Constantinople stands a tall oak tree, which still has all its leaves. With raging and curses, the devil departed and went to seek the oak, wandered in the wilderness for six months before he found it, and when he returned, all the oaks had in the meantime covered themselves again with green leaves. Then he had to forfeit his indemnity, and in his rage he put out the eyes of all the remaining goats, and put his own in instead. This is why all goats have devil's eyes, and their tails bitten off, and why he likes to assume their shape. Grimm's Household Tales, translated by Margaret Hunt, read by Paul Martin. This audiobook and its underlying text is in the public domain. Number 154. The Star Money. There was once upon a time a little girl whose father and mother were dead, and she was so poor that she no longer had any little room to live in or bed to sleep in, and at last she had nothing else but the clothes she was wearing and a little bit of bread in her hand, which some charitable soul had given her. She was, however, good and pious, and as she was thus forsaken, by all the world, she went forth into the open country, trusting in the good God. Then a poor man met her, who said, Ah, give me something to eat, I am so hungry. She gave him the whole of her piece of bread, and said, May God bless it to your use, and went onwards. Then came a child, who moaned and said, My head is so cold, give me something to cover it with. So she took off her hood and gave it to him, and when she had walked a little farther, she met another child who had no jacket and was frozen with cold. Then she gave it her own, and a little farther on one begged for a frock, and she gave away that also. At length she got into a forest, and it had already become dark, 
and there came yet another child, and asked for a little shirt, and the good little girl thought to herself, it is a dark night, and no one sees you, you can very well give your little shirt away, and took it off, and gave away that also. And as she stood, and had not one single thing left, suddenly some stars from heaven fell down, and they were nothing else but hard, smooth pieces of money, and although she had just given her little shirt away, she had a new one, which was of the very finest linen. Then she gathered together the money into this, and was rich all the days of her life. Grimm's Household Tales, translated by Margaret Hunt, read by Paul Martin. This audiobook and its underlying text is in the public domain. Number 168, The Peasant in Heaven. Once upon a time, a poor pious peasant died, and arrived before the gate of heaven. At the same time, a very rich, rich lord came there, who also wanted to get into heaven. Then St. Peter came with the key, and opened the door, and let the great man in, but apparently did not see the peasant, and shut the door again. And now the peasant outside heard how the great man was received in heaven, with all kinds of rejoicing, and how they were making music and singing within. At length all became quiet again, and St. Peter came and opened the gate of heaven, and let the peasant in. The peasant, however, expected that they would make music and sing when he went in also, but all remained quite quiet. He was received with great affection, it is true, and the angels came to meet him, but no one sang. Then the peasant asked St. Peter how it was that they did not sing for him, as they had done when the rich man went in, and said that it seemed to him that there in heaven things were done with just as much partiality as on earth. Then said St. Peter, By no means, you are just as dear to us as anyone else, and will enjoy every heavenly delight that the rich man enjoys. But poor fellows like you come to heaven every day, but a rich man like this does not come more than once in a hundred years. Grimm's Household Tales, translated by Margaret Hunt, read by Paul Martin. This audiobook and its underlying text is in the public domain. Children's Legend 1. Saint Joseph in the Forest. There was once on a time a mother who had three daughters, the eldest of whom was rude and wicked, the second much better, although she had her faults, but the youngest was a pious good girl. The mother was, however, so strange that it was just the eldest daughter whom she most loved, and she could not bear the youngest. On this account she often sent the poor girl out into the great forest in order to get rid of her, for she thought she would lose herself and never come back again. But the guardian angel, which every good child has, did not forsake her, but always brought her into the right path again. Once, however, the guardian angel behaved as if he were not there, 
and the child could not find her way out of the forest again. She walked on constantly until evening came, and then she saw a tiny light burning in the distance, ran up to it at once, and came to a little hut. She knocked, the door opened, and she came to a second door, where she knocked again. An old man, who had a snow-white beard, and looked venerable, opened it for her, and he was no other than Saint Joseph. He said quite kindly, Come, dear child, seat yourself on my little chair by the fire and warm yourself. I will fetch you clear water if you are thirsty, but here in the forest I have nothing for you to eat but a couple of little roots, which you must first scrape and boil. St. Joseph gave her the roots. The girl scraped them clean. Then she brought a piece of pancake and the bread that her mother had given her to take with her mixed all together in a pan and cooked herself a thick soup. When it was ready, St. Joseph said, I am so hungry, give me some of your food. The child was quite willing and gave him more than she kept for herself. But God's blessing was with her so that she was satisfied. When they had eaten, St. Joseph said, Now we will go to bed. I have, however, only one bed. Lay yourself in it. I will lie on the ground, on the straw. No, answered she. Stay in your own bed. The straw is soft enough for me. St. Joseph, however, took the child in his arms and carried her into the little bed, and there she said her prayers and fell asleep. Next morning she awoke. She wanted to say good morning to St. Joseph, but she did not see him. Then she got up and looked for him, but could not find him anywhere. At last she perceived behind the door a bag with money so heavy that she could just carry it, and on it was written that it was for the child who had slept there that night. She took the bag, bounded away with it, and got safely to her mother. And as she gave her mother all the money, she could not help being satisfied with her. The next day the second child also took a fancy to go into the forest. Her mother gave her a much larger piece of pancake and bread. It happened with her just as with the first child. In the evening she came to St. Joseph's little hut, who gave her roots for a thick soup. When it was ready, he likewise said to her, I am so hungry. Give me some of your food. Then the child said, You may have your share. Afterwards, when St. Joseph offered her his bed and wanted to lie on the straw, she replied, No, lie down in the bed. There's plenty of room for both of us. St. Joseph took her in his arms and put her in the bed and laid himself on the straw. In the morning, when the child awoke and looked for St. Joseph, he had vanished, but behind the door she found a little sack of money that was about as long as a hand, and on it was written that it was for the child who had slept there last night. So she took the little bag and ran home with it, and took it to her mother, but she secretly kept two pieces for herself. The eldest daughter had by this time grown curious, and the next morning also insisted on going out into the forest. 
Her mother gave her pancakes to take with her, as many as she wanted, and bread and cheese as well. In the evening she found St. Joseph in his little hut, just as the two others had found him. When the soup was ready and St. Joseph said, I am so hungry, give me some of your food, the girl answered, Wait until I am satisfied, then if there is anything left, you shall have it. She ate, however, nearly the whole of it, and St. Joseph had to scrape the dish. Afterwards, the good old man offered her his bed and wanted to lie on the straw. She took it without making any opposition, laid herself down in the little bed, and left the hard straw to the white-haired man. Next morning, when she awoke, St. Joseph was not to be found, but she did not trouble herself about that. She looked behind the door for a money bag. She fancied something was lying on the ground. But as she could not very well distinguish what it was, she stooped down and examined it closely. But it remained hanging to her nose. And when she got up again, she saw, to her horror, that it was a second nose which was hanging fast to her own. Then she began to scream and howl, but that did no good. She was forced to see it always on her nose, for it stretched out so far. Then she ran out and screamed without stopping, till she met St. Joseph, at whose feet she fell and begged, until out of pity he took the nose off her again, and even gave her two farthings. When she got home, her mother was standing before the door and asked, what have you had given to you? Then she lied and said, A great bag of money, but I have lost it on the way. Lost it? cried the mother. Oh, but we will soon find it again, and took her by the hand and wanted to seek it with her. At first she began to cry and did not wish to go, but at last she went. On the way, however, so many lizards and snakes broke loose on both of them that they did not know how to save themselves. At last they stung the wicked child to death, and they stung the mother in the foot, because she had not brought her up better. Grimm's Household Tales, translated by Margaret Hunt, read by Paul Martin. This audiobook and its underlying text is in the public domain. Children's Legend 2 The Twelve Apostles Three hundred years before the birth of the Lord Christ, there lived a mother who had twelve sons, but was so poor and needy that she no longer knew how she was to keep them alive at all. She prayed to God daily that he would grant that all her sons might be on the earth with the promised Redeemer. When her necessity became still greater, she sent one of them after the other out into the world to seek bread for her. The oldest was called Peter, and he went out and had already walked a long way, a whole day's journey, when he came into a great forest. He sought for a way out, but could find none, and went further and further astray, and at the same time felt such great hunger that he could scarcely stand. At length he became so weak that he was forced to lie down, and he believed death to be at hand. Suddenly there stood beside him a small boy who shone with brightness, 
and was as beautiful and kind as an angel. The child clapped his little hands together until Peter was forced to look up and saw him. Then the child said, Why are you sitting there in such trouble? Alas, answered Peter, I am going about the world seeking bread, that I may yet see the dear Saviour who is promised. That is my greatest desire. The child said, Come with me, and your wish shall be fulfilled. He took poor Peter by the hand, and led him between some cliffs to a great cavern. When they entered it, everything was shining with gold, silver and crystal, and in the middle of it, twelve cradles were standing side by side. Then said the little angel, Lie down in the first, and sleep a while, I will rock you. Peter did so, and the angel sang to him, and rocked him, until he was asleep. And when he was asleep, the second brother came also, guided there by his guardian angel, and he was rocked to sleep, like the first, and thus came the others, one after the other, until all twelve lay there sleeping in the golden cradles. They slept, however, three hundred years, until the night when the Saviour of the world was born. Then they awoke, and were with him on earth, and were called the Twelve Apostles. Grimm's Household Tales, translated by Margaret Hunt, read by Paul Martin. This audiobook and its underlying text is in the public domain. Children's Legend 4. Poverty and Humility Lead to Heaven There was once a king's son who went out into the world, and he was full of thought and sadness. He looked at the sky, which was so beautifully pure and blue. Then he sighed and said, How well must all be with one up there in heaven? Then he saw a poor grey-haired man who was coming along the road towards him, and he spoke to him and asked, How can I get to heaven? The man answered, By poverty and humility, put on my ragged clothes. Wander about the world for seven years, and get to know what misery is. Take no money, but if you are hungry, ask compassionate hearts for a bit of bread. In this way you will reach heaven. Then the king's son took off his magnificent coat, and wore in its place the beggar's garment, went out into the wide world, and suffered great misery. He took nothing but a little food, said nothing, but prayed to the Lord to take him into his heaven. When the seven years were over, he returned to his father's palace, but no one recognised him. He said to the servants, Go and tell my parents that I have come back again. But the servants did not believe it, and laughed, and left him standing there. Then said he, Go and tell it to my brothers, that they may come down, for I should so like to see them again. The servants would not do that either, but at last one of them went, and told it to the king's children. But these did not believe it, and did not trouble themselves about it. 
Then he wrote a letter to his mother, and described to her all his misery, but he did not say that he was her son. So, out of pity, the queen had a place under the stairs assigned to him, and food taken to him daily by two servants. But one of them was ill-natured and said, Why should the beggar have the good food? and kept it for himself, or gave it to the dogs, and took the weak, wasted-away beggar nothing but water. The other, however, was honest, and took the beggar what was sent to him. It was little, but he could live on it for a while, and all the time he was quite patient, but he grew continually weaker. As, however, his illness increased, he desired to receive the last sacrament. When the host was being elevated down below, all the bells in the town and neighbourhood began to ring. After Mass, the priest went to the poor man under the stairs, and there he lay dead. In one hand he had a rose, in the other a lily, and beside him was a paper in which was written his history. When he was buried, a rose grew on one side of his grave, and a lily on the other. Grimm's Household Tales, translated by Margaret Hunt, read by Paul Martin. This audiobook in its underlying text is in the public domain. Legend number six, The Three Green Twigs. There was once on a time a hermit who lived in a forest at the foot of a mountain and passed his time in prayer and good works, and every evening he carried to the glory of God two pails of water up the mountain. Many a beast drank of it, and many a plant was refreshed by it, for on the heights above a strong wind blew continually, which dried the air and the ground, and the wild birds which dread mankind wheel about there and with their sharp eyes search for a drink. And because the hermit was so pious, an angel of God, visible to his eyes, went up with him, counted his steps, and when the work was completed, brought him his food, just as the ravens, by God's command, had fed the prophet. When the hermit, in his piety, had already reached a great age, it happened that he once saw from afar a poor sinner being taken to the gallows. He said carelessly to himself, There, that one is getting his desserts. In the evening, when he was carrying the water up the mountain, the angel, who usually accompanied him, did not appear, and also brought him no food. Then he was terrified, and searched his heart, and tried to think how he could have sinned as God was so angry, but he did not discover it. Then he neither ate nor drank, threw himself down on the ground, and prayed day and night. And as he was one day thus bitterly weeping in the forest, he heard a little bird singing beautifully and delightfully, and then... He was still more troubled and said, How joyously you sing! The Lord is not angry with you. Ah, if you could but tell how I can have offended him, that I might do penance, and then my heart also would be glad again. 
Then the bird began to speak and said, You have done injustice in that you have condemned a poor sinner who is being led to the gallows, and for that the Lord is angry with you. He alone sits in judgment. However, if you will do penance and repent your sins, he will forgive you. Then the angel stood beside him with a dry branch in his hand and said, You shall carry this dry branch until three green twigs sprout out of it. But at night, when you will sleep, you shall lay it under your head. You shall beg your bread from door to door, and not stay more than one night in the same house. That is the penance which the Lord lays on you. Then the hermit took the piece of wood and went back into the world, which he had not seen for so long. He ate and drank nothing, but what was given him at the doors, many petitions were, however, not listened to. And many doors remained shut to him, so that he often did not get a crumb of bread. Once, when he had gone from door to door, from morning till night, and no one had given him anything, and no one would shelter him for the night, he went forth into a forest, and at last found a cave, which someone had made, and an old woman was sitting in it. Then he said, Good woman, keep me with you in your house for this night. But she said, No, I dare not, even if I wished. I have three sons who are wicked and wild. If they come home from their robbing expedition and find you, they will kill us both. The hermit said, Let me stay. They will do no injury either to you or to me. And the woman was compassionate, and let herself be persuaded. Then the man lay down beneath the stairs, and put a bit of wood under his head. When the old woman saw him do that, she asked the reason of it, at which he told her that he carried a bit of wood about with him for a penance, and used it at night for a pillow, and that he had offended the Lord, because when he had seen a poor sinner on the way to the gallows, he had said he was getting his deserts. Then the woman began to weep and cried, If the Lord thus punishes one single word, how will it fare with my sons when they appear before him at judgment? At midnight the robbers came home and blustered and stormed. They made a fire, and when it had lighted up the cave, and they saw a man lying under the stairs, they fell in a rage and cried to their mother, Who is the man? Have we not forbidden anyone whatsoever to be taken in? Then said the mother, Let him alone. It is a poor sinner who is atoning for his crime. The robbers asked, What has he done? To him they cried, Old man, tell us your sins. The old man raised himself and told them how he, by one single word, had so sinned that God was angry with him, and how he was now expiating this crime. The robbers were so powerfully touched in their hearts by this story 
that they were shocked with their life up to this time reflected and began with hearty repentance to do penance for it. The hermit, after he had converted the three sinners, lay down to sleep again under the stairs. In the morning, however, they found him dead. And out of the dry wood on which his head lay, three green twigs had grown up on high. Thus the Lord had once more received him into his favour. Grimm's Household Tales, translated by Margaret Hunt, read by Paul Martin. This audiobook and its underlying text is in the public domain. Children's Legend, number 7. Our Lady's Little Glass. Once upon a time, a wagoner's cart, which was heavily laden with wine, had stuck so fast that in spite of all that he could do, he could not get it to move again. Then he chanced that Our Lady just happened to come by that way. And when she perceived the poor man's distress, she said to him, I am tired and thirsty. Give me a glass of wine, and I will set your cart free for you. Willingly, answered the wagoner, but I have no glass in which I can give you the wine. Then Our Lady plucked a little white flower with red stripes called field bindweed, which looks very like a glass, and gave it to the wagoner. He filled it with wine, and then Our Lady drank it, and in the same instant the cart was set free, and the wagoner could drive onwards. The little flower is still always called Our Lady's Little Glass. Grimm's Household Tales, translated by Margaret Hunt, read by Paul Martin. This audiobook and its underlying text is in the public domain. Children's Legend 8. The Aged Mother In a large town, there was an old woman who sat in the evening alone in her room, thinking how she had lost first her husband, then both her children, then one by one all her relations, and at length that very day her last friend. And now she was quite alone and desolate. She was very sad at heart, and heaviest of all her losses to her was that of her sons, and in her pain she blamed God for it. She was still sitting lost in thought, when all at once she heard the bells ringing for early prayer. She was surprised that she had thus in her sorrow watched through the whole night and lighted her lantern and went to church. It was already lighted up when she arrived, but not as it usually was with wax candles, but with a dim light. It was also crowded already with people and all the seats were filled and when the old woman got to her usual place it also was not empty, but the whole bench was entirely full. And when she looked at the people, they were none other than her dead relations who were sitting there in their old-fashioned garments, but with pale faces. They neither spoke nor sang, but a soft humming and whispering was heard all over the church. Then an aunt of hers stood up, stepped forward, and said to the poor old woman, 
Look there beside the altar, and you will see your sons. The old woman looked there, and saw her two children, one hanging on the gallows, the other bound to the wheel. Then said the aunt, You see, this is how it would have been with them, if they had lived, and if the good God had not taken them to himself when they were innocent children. The old woman went trembling home, and on her knees thanked God for having dealt with her more kindly than she had been able to understand. And on the third day she lay down and died. Grimm's Household Tales, translated by Margaret Hunt, read by Paul Martin. This audiobook and its underlying text is in the public domain. Children's Legend, number 9. The Heavenly Wedding. A poor peasant boy one day heard the priest say in church that whoever desired to enter into the kingdom of heaven must always go straight onward. So he set out and walked continually straight onwards, over hill and valley, without ever turning aside. At length his way led him into a great town, and into the middle of a church, where just at that time God's service was being performed. Now when he beheld all the magnificence of this, he thought he had reached heaven, sat down and rejoiced with his whole heart. When the service was over, and the clerk bade him go out, he replied, No, I will not go out again. I am glad to be in heaven at last. So the clerk went to the priest, and told him that there was a child in the church who would not go out again, because he believed he was in heaven. The priest said, If he believes that, we will leave him inside. So... He went to him and asked if he had any inclination to work. Yes, the little fellow replied, I am accustomed to work, but I will not go out of heaven again. So he stayed in the church, and when he saw how the people came and knelt and prayed to Our Lady, with the blessed child Jesus, which was carved in wood, he thought, This is the good God, and said, Dear God, how thin you are. The people must certainly let you starve, but every day I will give you half my dinner. From this time forth, he every day took half his dinner to the image, and the image began to enjoy the food. When a few weeks had gone by, the people remarked that the image was growing larger and stout and strong, and wondered much. The priest also could not understand it, but stayed in the church and followed the little boy about, and then he saw how he shared his food with the Virgin Mary, and how she accepted it. After some time the boy became ill, and for eight days could not leave his bed. But as soon as he could get up, the first thing he did was to take his food to Our Lady. The priest followed him, and heard him say, Dear God, do not take it amiss that I have not brought you anything for such a long time, for I have been ill and could not get up. Then the image answered him and said, I have seen your good will, 
and that is enough for me. Next Sunday, you will go with me to the wedding. The boy rejoiced at this, and repeated it to the priest, who begged him to go, and asked the image if he too might be permitted to go. No, answered the image, you alone. The priest wished to prepare him first, and give him the Holy Communion, and the child was willing, and next Sunday, when the host came to him, he fell down and died, and was at the eternal wedding. Grimm's Household Tales, translated by Margaret Hunt, read by Paul Martin. This audiobook and its underlying text is in the public domain. Children's Legend Number 10 The Hazel Branch One afternoon, the Christ child had laid himself in his cradle and had fallen asleep. Then his mother came to him, looked at him full of gladness and said, Have you laid yourself down to sleep, my child? Sleep sweetly, and in the meantime I will go into the wood and fetch you a handful of strawberries, for I know that you will be pleased with them when you awake. In the wood outside she found a spot with the most beautiful strawberries, but as she was stooping down to gather one, an adder sprang up out of the grass. She was alarmed, left the strawberries where they were, and hastened away. The adder darted after her, but Our Lady, as you can readily understand, knew that it was best to do. She hid herself behind a hazel bush, and stood there until the adder had crept away again. Then she gathered the strawberries, and as she set out on her way home, she said, As the hazel bush has been my protection this time, it shall in future protect others also. Therefore, from the most remote times, a green hazel branch has been the safest protection against adders, snakes, and everything else which creeps on the earth.